Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Short Stacks, our shorter conversations with authors about their process and their books. Our guest today is Angie Kim, author of Miracle Creek. Miracle Creek is our July 17th book for the Stacks Book Club, so today is a great opportunity for you to get to know this book a little bit better without any spoilers. Miracle Creek is Kim's debut novel and a literary courtroom drama that has already become a national bestseller. Today in the episode, you'll hear about Angie Kim's own life as an immigrant from Korea, her past as a trial lawyer, and of course, her process as a writer. Before we get to our conversation, here are just a few reminders. Everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the show notes. The link will take you to all the books, movies, articles that get discussed on the show. Also, the show notes have links to our social media accounts so you can stay connected to the stacks. Want more of the stacks? Consider joining the stacks pack. That's over on Patreon. Patreon is a website that allows listeners of this show to support the work we're doing. So head over to patreon.com slash the stacks to give a little love to the show and to earn special perks for yourself like our video book club that we do every other week to discuss the Stacks book club picks. It's so awesome. There's a bunch of other perks over there. So head to patreon.com slash the stacks to check it all out. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review this show wherever you get your podcasts, especially through Apple podcasts. Okay. Now let's dive into our conversation with Angie Kim. Okay, you guys, I'm so excited. I'm here today with author Angie Kim, who wrote our July book club pick, Miracle Creek. Angie, welcome to the Sacks. Thank you so much. And thank you for picking my book for your um, for your July pick. That's awesome. I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. So before we even dive in, I'm gonna, I already said this to you off air, but I'm going to say it now so everybody hears, we're not going to do any spoilers today. So if you haven't <laughs> read the book yet, you're okay. The book is full of spoilers, which we will do in July, but today you guys are safe. So in about 30 seconds or so, can you kind of give us a spoiler-free synopsis of your book? Sure. This is my standard elevator pitch. Miracle Creek is a literary courtroom drama about a Korean immigrant family and a young single mother who's on trial for murdering her eight-year-old son with autism. That's so good. You're so good. Yeah. I bet you've done that yeah. before. <laughs> I have. I do it like four times a day, I feel like. You nailed it. Um, so where did you get the idea for this book? Yeah. So it's a complicated answer because... Um, 
it this is my first novel and it's not only the first novel i've published but the first novel i've ever even attempted to write and people say that you put a lot of yourself into your first book and that's definitely the case um for me and there are sort of three different elements of my life that i wanted to explore and put into books and i ended up sort of putting all of them into this book <laughs> instead of just choosing one which is what i sort of thought that i was going to do So the three elements are one is I'm a Korean immigrant. I came here with my parents when I was 11 as a preteen from Korea and I moved here in middle school not speaking any English and sort wow. of you know dealing with middle school uh not only not speaking English but you know having to deal with the fact that I didn't know the culture at all. I wore weird clothes. I didn't have any friends. I was displaced all of that sort of stuff. So there right. was that sort of one element. And the second one sort of going in chronological for my life it was a trial lawyer. And so um I loved the courtroom element of being a trial lawyer. Mm-hmm. Not so much uh really hated every other aspect of being a lawyer. <laughs> And so I actually quit in my 20s, but still that element of being in the courtroom is something that stayed with me and that I love and that I wanted to revisit again definitely in through writing. And then the third element is being the parent of uh three kids i have three boys and all three have gone through numerous medical issues mm. um they're all resolved so they're all fine now but when they were little for some bizarre reason all three of them had weird sort of medical mystery things going on um and so we were in hospitals a lot and one of them actually who had ulcerative colitis that didn't respond to any standard treatments we actually did hyperbaric oxygen therapy hbot which is featured heavily in the book so there was a lot from that element of my life that i wanted to bring in as well so i sort of like took the three strands of my life and wove them together and hoped that they sort of made a compelling and hopefully original and unique type of premise for a novel which is that a korean immigrant family owns this hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber or hbot chamber which one day catches on fire and explodes because there's pure oxygen involved and people are killed and then most of the novel is exploring how that incident came to be through the lens of a four-day murder trial so you can sort of see how all of those yes. elements of my life are woven in yeah you did a good job cuz i'm like oh of course now it all makes sense how this came to yeah. be <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So I do have a question. This is kind of personal, so you can be like leave me alone, but okay. there's a moment in the book where one of the characters Janine, whose husband was in the chamber when it explodes, she yes. is reflecting on a wedding gift that she got that was yes. she's Korean and it was a yes. walk which is like yes. just so racist and horrible <laughs> from one of his family members. And I thought to myself, did right. this happen to Angie in real life? It did not happen to me in real life actually. Okay. Um and in fact I I actually have a different association with walks. You're probably too young to remember this, but there was in the 80s a movie called Saint Elmo's Fire, Fire. Yeah, uh, with Rob Lowe and like Ali Sheedy and whatever. And you know, I was a teenager at that point and I remember thinking it was like the height of chic and sophistication for one of the 
characters to sort of have a scene where she was in her fabulous Georgetown apartment or condo or whatever with her boyfriend and sort of like cooking up this Chinese stir fry in her walk. And I was just like, that's what I want to be. And walks, they're totally not used in uh, Korea that I'm aware of in Korean cooking. So um, I actually, my husband and I actually got each other like a walk as... I think when we first moved in together or something like that, that was one of our purchases or whatever. And we were like, let's do that. And let's have a glass of wine and let's sort of like pretend to be chic and sophisticated, which we were not. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I don't actually have a negative association with okay. walk, but walks, but I have definitely since then have heard people, you know, sort of confusing Chinese, Japanese, Korean cultures. And that's definitely something that I've heard a lot and have heard of my friends who are Korean complain about. Um, And I've also, my husband is white. So um, we definitely have this sort of like biracial marriage and family and he's from the south so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that we definitely encounter especially early on when I was being introduced to his community and his family so there is a little bit of that in there for sure okay I just felt like such a specific story I was like I wonder if that happened to her no, no, that's actually made up. Well, it's good. Thankfully. It's, it's a great detail. I was literally like, ooh, this is so good. So back to the book. When you're okay. writing, because your book's kind of thriller-ish, courtroom-ish, drama, yeah. like it has that suspense. You don't know where it's going. You're not quite sure. Right. It's a whodunit right. kind of thing. When you go into writing that book, did you, mm-hmm. do you know who done it when you start? And do you know a lot of the twists and turns or do they come to you kind of in the writing process where you're like, I need something here. Like I'm missing a twist. Yeah. Can I pin this on someone else in the reader's mind for a couple right. pages? Right. So yeah. So I did not know who did it Okay. Um, when I first started writing. I probably didn't know for the first year or so of writing. And that was one of my motivations in writing every day or probably not every day. I'm not very disciplined. I'm very much a procrastinator. But um, that was one of the things that I was like, okay, I need to write this book because I want to know as sort of a, like putting my reader hat on, I want to know who did it. And I want to know. And even once I found out, like once I decided and discovered sort of who must have done it, I wasn't completely sure exactly how it would have been done and why. And so I actually refer to my book as more of a how done it rather than a who done it or a why done it because because I think I, I think I could probably safely tell you who did it in the very beginning of the book and still have there be this intellectual mystery of sorts where yeah. you're still going through and you're going, okay, I really don't understand how this person or these people that you're saying, you told me in the beginning of the book did it, how that could have happened given everything else that I'm telling you about what all the characters are thinking and doing and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, but in any case, as far as the writing of it, yeah, it just sort of, it, all the twists and things like that sort of came to me. And I think I'm such an avid reader of mysteries and, you know, twisty. I love twists when I'm reading 
And um, so it was when I was writing that those would sort of come to me. And I definitely had to do a lot of revision after I was done writing my first draft to sort of go back and just make sure that, you know, the twists came at the right time and moving things around so that they made more sense. And then realizing, wait, if if this happened, then the earlier thing that I said happened couldn't have happened. So fixing those types of things. So there was a lot of revision and sort of iterative editing and revision going on. But um, I didn't know. Yeah. (laughs) Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So I went to lunch with a girlfriend of mine who is also a big reader here in LA. And she Mm -hmm. was the one who was like, you should read the book. I think you might want to do it on the show. I think you'd like it. And so we were at lunch and I was like, I don't know, halfway into the book. And I said to her, I was like, Lauren, 
I think I know who does it. And she's like, you uh-huh. do? And I was like, did you figure it out? And she was like, no, but I didn't really care who did it. I kind of was just like along for the ride. Right, like I just, right, and I right. was like, and then I was wrong who I thought did it. I was wrong. Um, oh, okay. And so when I figured out I was wrong, I was like, I guess she's right. I actually don't care that I'm wrong. Usually I get mad that I'm wrong. I'm like, oh, oh okay. Oh, I didn't get it. I'm so dumb. But I was kind of like, okay, well, now I really want to know who does it. Yeah. So I actually like it when I don't figure out who did it because it sort of disappoints me a little bit that sure. there isn't like a twist that I didn't see coming. Yeah. Um, and I'm the kind of person who does like to try to figure it out. And usually the who did it part um, in books, in most books, there are only so many characters that right. it could be, right? right? Like there aren't that many people. And I'm, and I also don't like it when authors put in like a really minor character who was like described once or that we don't that. know very well. And then, that. and then that person like turns out to have done it. Cause you're just like, well, that, that wasn't really fair. Like there was yeah. no opportunity for me to figure it out. And I like the mysteries where I can figure it out. If I, I really, really, really pay attention. If I'm paying attention, I really, yeah. yeah. If I'm being a good reader, I should be able to get yeah. the answer by the end. And yeah, I did get yeah, yeah, it, yeah. but like, I definitely was like, oh, it's it's got to be this person. I'm so smart. Like, look at me. Right, and then, right, and then right. I was right. wrong and I was like, dang. <laughs> right. And that's why, that's why I like the ones where even if, you know, because for most novel mysteries that play it fair, like I, I've just described, yeah. you... you at some point in the book, you're going to have thought that that person must have done it, right? right. Just because right. there are, again, like only so many characters that it could have been. Right. Um, and usually, and then lately, you know, with the psychological twist thrillers, it's like usually one of the main suspects is the narrator themselves, right? right. So that's sort of interesting and fun. But the whole point is, to me, is again, like, can you figure out how they must right. have done it. Like, totally. is, are, were you right in that? Yeah. Right. Because if that isn't part of it, the how and like the why, if those aren't part yeah. of it, then if you figure it out, it's kind of like a waste of your time, right? Like if yeah. it's not and, about the yeah. how and the why, then what am yeah. I even doing here? Yeah. And not only that, but of course you can, you can figure it out at some point. At some point in the book, you're going to have thought, oh, character X must have done right. it. But like, did you figure out why and how? Like, right. that's the important yeah. part. That's yeah, the fun to stuff. Totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I'm curious, how do you name your characters? Because you have a whole bunch and they kind of all uh-huh. are, uh, most of them have, mm-hmm. they narrate. Most of them or most of them are point yeah. of view. Um, yes. which I am also interested in kind of how you get yourself to do that with so many characters, but how do you yeah. name your characters? Okay. So I'm so glad I've never been asked this yes. question before <laughs> and I've been dying to talk about it oh my God, because so I actually changed the names at the end. Oh, you did? Um, after I finished writing it. So I sometimes get confused as to like who I'm talking about. So young Pac and Mary, who are the Korean immigrant family, their names I left alone. But there are a number of mothers of um, special needs um, and disabled children in the book. And they all had different names at first. And then once I finished the novel, I worried a little bit because we have such a large cast of characters that people might get confused. Mm. And they all had sort of similar sounding names. So Elizabeth, who's the mother who's on trial for murder, was for three years of my, of the no, of my writing the novel, was Caroline. 
okay. um, with a seat. And then one of the women who is killed in the novel, which happens very early on, so this is not a spoiler, was named Crystal with a K. And and I just thought, Caroline, Crystal, they're sort of similar sounding. Uh, they have that K sound and they have, you know, multiple syllables and things like that. I wonder if people are going to get them confused. And their kids sort of had similar sounding names too. It was like Henry and I forget what his name was for the longest time. But anyway, so I decided to change it so that it was Elizabeth and Kit, um, which are much more, you know, different from each other and more distinguishable and things like that. Yeah. And um, and the other thing that I did was, um, I can't even remember who, um, Teresa, I always had as Teresa because she was sort of like the mother Teresa, the saintly mother mm-hmm. that everybody thinks is the saintly mother, which is like a huge myth and stereotype that I really want to use this book to try to dispel and, mm-hmm. you know, destroy that myth of the good mother, capital G, capital M. Right. But, um, her daughter was, I forget what her name was now, but it was like a different name that was sort of bland that was another sort of name that sort of blended into the mix. So we um, changed it to Rosa. And I also wanted there to be more of a, like more ethnicities involved. And so I changed some of the names and some of the details um, so that it would be a lot more um, multicultural um, in the same way that this area, which is in Northern Virginia is actually. Right. So, you know, so it ended up sort of serving multiple purposes, but I'm so happy that you <laughs> asked about that. Yeah. Okay. It was just like a lot of like, you know, I want some characters to have like four syllable names and some to have one and things like that. Cause I did worry a lot that people were going to get these characters mixed up and that that was going to be one of the sort of barriers to entry for this novel, that people were going to be like, ah, oh, I can't get into this novel because there's so many characters and I'm getting so confused because I'm horrible with names myself. Okay. And I do that with books. I'm like, I can't figure out who's who. I'm just gonna just give up on this book because I can't do it. That's so interesting as a reader that that's like something that you're so cognizant of. I love that. Were there other titles for the book? Yes. So, um, my very first working title, which was abandoned almost immediately, but and I knew that it was a working title, but I sort of liked it. It was called Bonbons in a Blue Submarine. Mm. Um, so there's a scene where um, somebody is saying to one of the mothers, hey, your child is not really disabled. And so I don't really know why you're doing all these experimental treatments and therapies and all this stuff. If I were you and I had a son like yours, because that character has a son that's much more disabled and, and, um, than, than Elizabeth's, she says to Elizabeth, if I, if I had a child like yours, I would just lie around and eat bonbons all day. Mm-hmm. And someone actually did say that to me. That one is mm. really from life. And that really affected me a lot. Um, and it made me feel guilty um, almost for having a child that was uh, able to talk and walk and run and all those things. It made me so grateful for all of that, but also made me feel guilty that here I was in this chamber doing HBOT therapy with other kids who are much more disabled than my son 
Um, and so that really, really, that comment, which was said in sort of jest and she's a friend and she didn't mean any, anything bad by it in any way. And I could tell, but still at the same time, it really stayed with me. And so, um, when I started writing the book, it was called Bonbons in the Blue Submarine because the blue submarine is what we called our submarine because, uh, our HBOT chamber, because the first time we saw it, my son was four. And he pointed to it and he was like, look, it's a submarine because we had just watched the Beatles yellow submarine Mm. for family movie night. (laughs) And he thought it looked just like that. And it does. And it did. So except that it was painted blue. So we called it the blue submarine. So that was the original working title. And actually, if you go to my computer and like look up all of my, you know, files with the um, like even marketing materials for the real book itself. Um, I It's called Bonbons. Like mm. it, the master file is Bonbons. So and funny. so anyway, so, so that's that. And then very soon after writing, it became Miracle Submarine. Okay. Because that's the name of the HBOT chamber is the mirror and the business um, that the Korean family owns is the Miracle Submarine. And so much of the book takes place in the Miracle Submarine and about the Miracle Submarine. So that was the uh, the title for the longest time. And actually, that was the title on the advanced reader copy, The Ark, that mm. my publisher, FSG, sent out to everyone. I think they had like 10,000 copies. Oh, my gosh. And so that was the printed version. And so it says, you know, those arcs still say Miracle Submarine on it. And then we got feedback from some of the booksellers that they thought that it was going to confuse the readers and not make it very appealing just because submarine is such a strange thing and people weren't going to know what it was about. And they might think it was a military thriller or, you know, because of the submarine or they might think that it's a children's book because of the whole Beatles yellow submarine. And so could we change it? And so we thought about it for a long time and we were really wedded to Miracle Submarine, but we decided, you know what, maybe we should listen to these people who are much closer to readers and, you know, than we are. Um, And so we decided to go with Miracle Creek, um, which is the name of the town and also name of the creek itself that sort of runs in the property where Miracle Submarine um, is placed uh, where some of the more pivotal scenes occur. So, so um, yeah, so Miracle Creek is the final name, but we definitely have the Miracle Submarine all over out there. <laughs> and if you go to like my website and stuff, it'll say previously Miracle Creek, previously Miracle Submarine. I saw that and I was like, what if, did I miss something? <laughs> like I was like, was yeah. this book published a while ago? Like, did I miss something? But now it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, so here, here's a question kind of about your writing style what, okay. or like about writing this book, I guess, for you as an author, as a writer, what was the hardest part about writing this book and what of this book came easily for you? Okay. The, I'm going to do the easy part okay. first because it's <laughs> so easy. Um, the, the easiest part for me to write where I just like wrote at a blistering speed, like how fast can my fingers move mm-hmm. were the courtroom scenes. Okay. And I think that's because... I almost felt like I was back in the courtroom, Mm. except that I could control exactly what the witnesses were going to say, which is just like a dream come true. So it was really fun, first of all. And writing the courtroom scenes felt like 
more like I was writing with my lawyer hat on rather than as my with my writer hat on. And when I have my writer hat on, which is, you know, how I do like 99% of my writing, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm an extremely slow writer. Like I find writing itself, the first drafting to be very painful. Okay. Um, Dorothy Parker once said, I hate writing. I love having written. And mm. that's me for sure. And so it's just like pulling teeth to get words out. But when it came to the courtroom scenes, I was just like, oh yeah, I'm not a writer anymore. I'm just a lawyer, just, you know, like drafting what I'm going to ask the witness. And um, I mean, that's not what I actually said, but that's psychoanalyzing myself. I think that's what was happening because it was so easy. And um, the hardest part was, I think, writing the scenes from the characters that are closest to me and sort of my sort of personality or whatever. So there are two characters that I think are really the closest to me. One is Mary, um, who is the teenage daughter of the Korean immigrant family. And, you know, she is basically a young teenage version of me um, because she's so like everything from her sensibility and sort of the way that she's such a brat and, you know, all that kind of stuff and her loneliness, everything and isolation and rebellion and resentment against her parents. That's so me. And then um, the other one is Elizabeth, the mother who's on trial for murder. I think because she is such a type A personality type of mom who, you know, comes from this atmosphere of um, she was an accountant uh, and she, so she was professional and she sort of gave everything up for her child. And she is just trying so desperately hard to just sort of be the perfect mother and um, that she sort of loses sight of what it's supposed to be all about and the joys of motherhood. And I, I was definitely like that for a while when I first had kids and my kids had all these medical issues and there was just so much um, to figure out. So I sort of went into this mode of like playing medical detective with um, my kids' doctors and sort of being very type A about it the way that I had been in my professional life. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of that part of me in Elizabeth, the character. Right. And so when it came time to sort of write about sort of their deepest, most shameful, guilty feelings... Um, it was really hard to, because those were essentially versions of similar internal dialogue that I'd had with myself. I was just going to say, did any of your friends or family say to you like, oh, I see you in either of those characters? Like, did anybody ever call you out on that kind of, or is that something that was more just internal for you that you knew they were connected to you? Yeah, I think maybe not as much Elizabeth. Okay. But, you know, because I did change Elizabeth so much so that, you know, she was a very different version of myself. She wasn't okay. really, you know, on the surface, she's, she's not really like me. And, um, and I, and also um, her child is not really like my kids and things like that. So I think I did a better job of sort of tr- um, making her into a very different version of myself that's not as recognizable. Whereas Mary, I think pretty much everybody is like, yeah, that's you. Okay. Um, <laughs> including my my mom who, you know, recognized the you family as basically our family. And the first time she read it, 
um, she actually called me. It took her a really long time to read, first of all, which surprised me because she's a really fast reader. Mm. And it took her like several months and wow. I, to the point where I was like, huh, I wonder if I should say something. Maybe she doesn't like it. And she finally called me one day and she said, I finished it. And she was sobbing and she apologized um, for, you know, sort of having for all the things that she, you know, she thinks that she did uh, to, you know, with respect to our family and things like that. And mm. she sees herself in young and she sees me certainly in Mary. And I had to sort of say, you know, no, it's not, it's not us. It's fictional. It's not right. really us, but of course there, you know, she could sort of see the emotional core right. of that family as being ours. And so, she definitely saw it for sure. And uh, it was really good. It was very cathartic, actually. That's so powerful. It really, yeah, it was really wonderful, actually. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm really glad to have written the book, if for nothing else, because of that. Because, And also writing the part of Young really made me have to think about what my mom and my parents had to go through mm. um, from their perspective and sort of let some of that resentment and rebelliousness that I'd had towards them, mm -hmm. um, let that go and realize, realize how unfair I'd been to them, you know? So, yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah. yeah. This question is not powerful, but it's my favorite. Um, okay. When you're writing... <laughs> I kind of yes. want you to tell us what your writing setup is. And I read your acknowledgments. So I know that sometimes you eat omelets in the writing room. <laughs> yes. And one of my favorite questions is how do you write? But more specifically, like, do you have writing snacks or beverages? Do you light a candle? Do you have a ritual? Do you have a place you have to write? Can you write outside of your home? Do you have to be outside of your home? Kind of set the scene for like your ideal writing situation. Yes. Okay. Sure. Uh, it's very specific. And in okay. fact, I would have probably done this podcast recording from my writing nook, okay. um, except that there's no Wi-Fi in there Got um, it. or very little, like sometimes it comes and goes. It's that, you know, far away corner of my house. So Perfect. it's a utility closet off the corner of my bedroom. <laughs> so okay. it's not even like the walk-in closet where I keep my clothes. It's like where you're supposed to keep like the brooms and things like that. <laughs> it's tiny, tiny. You walk in and the ceiling is sloped in. Okay. Um, like sort of like what you imagine Harry Potter's, you know, little broom closet to be, you know, where he sleeps. <laughs> Um, at the Dursleys. Um, and there's just enough room for a tiny table that's a Korean style table um, that's low set. So I, you can't fit a chair in there because okay. you can't really even see. So you have to sit on the floor. Okay. So I sit on the floor and there's a laptop and a screen, like a bigger screen. And um, and there's really nothing in that room except the laptop. And then, but it's very messy. It's got like all of the books that I'm using for, as inspiration and things like that. It's got all sort, and it's got, you know, um, I have a writing group that I give my chapters to, and then it's got all of their um, handwritten remarks and comments and things like that strewn mm. over in some weird fashion that only I can figure out like how, how I can find anything, that type of thing. Yeah. I really need to basically write in that room. And if I'm really into a scene 
or if I'm revising or editing, I can definitely take that same laptop and take it with me. And if I'm going to do that, I like to actually write in my car um, because I do so much driving around Northern Virginia and DC for my kids. And so like while I'm waiting for their basketball practice to finish or Mm. whatever, then I can, you know, just sit in the car and just, you know, write. So I do that sometimes, but I don't usually, I I usually have the hardest time starting a new scene. So Mm -hmm. for something like that intensive, I need to be in my little writing nook. Yeah. So that's basically, and when I sit down, I, yeah, I I can have coffee. I can have wine if it's later in the day. Sometimes I'll like text my husband, Hey, will you fix me up a martini and bring it to me? (laughs) Cause I'm in the really intense part and I really need something, you know, to like sort of take the edge off and, you know, and get going. And I, yeah, I just like sit and I sit cross-legged in sort of yoga pose and I do a little meditation in the beginning and sort of pray to the like universe or whatever to sort of, you know, help me uh, with my creativity and whatever. And yeah, I go from there. I love that. So you mentioned, right, books for inspiration. Um, what sort of books were you reading and in getting inspired by while you were writing Miracle Creek. Okay, so I had um, a couple of books that were that were in that writing nook that I just refer to constantly, and one is Mystic River by Dennis Lehane, mm-hmm. um, and this is one of the reasons why I was actually happy about the title being changed to Miracle Creek because mm. Mystic River, Mystic. Uh, you know, Miracle Creek. It was Miracle Creek. I sort of named as an homage to Mystic River. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. So I love Mystic River. I feel it's a murder mystery. It's, you know, many, many, many different points of view. It's sort of like, and the voices are so raw and so honest. And there's just so many great characters that are all sort of like awful people, but you can sort of sympathize and they're not really likable, but they're definitely complex. And, you know, so, and they do such stupid things. You just want to kill them. And mm. so, and that's sort of my favorite kind of read. And I hope that that's what I've created with Miracle Creek. So, yeah, so that was one. Another one that I had was um, Russell Banks, The Sweet Hereafter, which also starts with a tragedy and then sort of like has, you know, four different main perspectives where he sort of explores different things. Um, And the voice of that I just love. So um, I had that um, next to me. I also had Jennifer Egan's um, Visit from the Goon Squad, um, just because she has so many different voices in there, you know, with the collection of the short stories that whatever I was working on, I feel like I could just sort of like turn to any particular, any different chapter and sort of find inspiration just from the voice and the rhythm and things like that. So those, uh, and then the fourth is Tim O'Brien's In the Lake of the Woods, which is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books ever, probably top three ever. What are the other two? (laughs) um, Probably the Harry Potter series. Okay. Um, What are the other two? I don't know. I can't, I have to think about it. Maybe Jennifer, probably Jennifer Egan's. Yeah. Um, Visit from the Goon Squad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I kind of put you on the spot there. Um, but no, whenever it's people okay. say like top five, I'm like, okay, go, go, go. I want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and no, then for completely. people who love Miracle Creek, what are some other books that you would say are like a good 
companion, not necessarily the same, but like maybe in conversation with, or if you like this, you might also like that. Just recommendations from you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, certainly all the books that I just uh, talked about for sure, especially Mystic River, just because I feel like that's just such an amazing, um, and, and I really do feel like if you like Miracle Creek, then you'll probably also just completely love Mystic River. I think any of Laura Lippmann's novels are very much in that vein of, um, she has a, she has a detective series, but then she also has like standalone novels. And I think that all of her standalone novels are very much in that style. Some of the more recent reads books um, from, and just a quick disclaimer, these are all friends of mine. So yay. I hope that that's okay to yes. put my friends up. One is uh, Searching for Sylvie Lee by Jean Kwok, uh, which is, you know, has sort of that mystery element. Um, it starts with a girl um, who is a sister who goes missing in Amsterdam. And mm-hmm. so um, there's that mystery of trying to figure out what happened to her and things like that. And then as the family members are searching for her, all these secrets come out about the family. And so there's a lot about the family dynamics, immigrant family, uh, racism, all sorts of things in there that are, I think, sort of close in heart to uh, my novel. And then another book that I think is completely different, but also a literary mystery is um, uh, Julia Phillips' Disappearing Earth. That's also a recent release. And it's just, it's more of a collection, uh, short story collection, but it starts again, sort of like Jean's, uh, with um, a pair of girls, a pair of sisters that go missing Mm. in the remote peninsula, Russian peninsula of Kamchatka. And so it's a mystery to figure out what happened to these girls. And, um, and it's, I think it's 12 chapters and each chapter is sort of one, uh, month after. So, you know, like the girls go missing and I'm picking up April, then there's, you know, May, June, like, so each chapter is like another month. And it's all from characters who are all women, um, whose lives have been either directly or indirectly affected by the girl's disappearance in some way. And so they're definitely short. It's a short story collection that's interlinked stories. And so you get the multiple POVs, you get the different voices, and you also get sort of the mystery, but um, that runs throughout the novel. And you get to see how all these different people are in some way linked. So I think for those reasons, yeah, she and I just recently did a conversation together and we have like four other joint events coming up that we're so excited about. Oh, awesome. I love that. Okay. I have two more questions for you. One is because this is your first book and you've been working Mm -hmm. on it for a long time and it incorporates so much of your life. What was Mm -hmm. it like for you when you finally saw like your arc or your galley or a finished copy or like, what was that like for you? You know, that was just so, I think the arc was the most affecting just because that was the first time that I'd seen it as a book. Mm -hmm. And it was just so beautiful. And I knew what the cover looked like, but 
the cover that I had seen before didn't have like the gold foil on it mm. that sort of shines yeah. and it's just so beautiful and just sparkles and it was just amazing and it's just like one of the best moments ever for somebody who creates because I think one of the wonderful things about doing something where you're creating something is you know, like if you're an artist, you see your painting, you know, mm. and if you are a musician, then you hear your composition coming to life, you know, as other people play it or whatever. And with my book, even though I had the book, it wasn't a book, you know what right. I mean? It was just, it was just like a collection of words on, you know, some pa pages that I had um, typed up and that I had printed out mm -hmm. and to actually see it and it was an actual beautiful book, the kind that you would see in a bookstore. Mm -hmm. It was just, and, and actually even more wonderful was the first time that I actually like sat down and read it mm -hmm. from the book. You know what I mean? Rather than on the computer screen or pages that were printed out or whatever. That was just the most amazing moment. And because it made me feel like, okay, this is real. Like this is actually something that I made and that other people put into this format that other people, lots of other people, hopefully lots of other people are going to read and right. see. And, you know, so that was just so thrilling. Yeah, That's I love amazing. it. Well, congratulations. Thank and you. And we'll end on this one. If you could have one person read this book, who would it be? Oh, that's a hard one. I know it's that's hard. really, really, really <laughs> stumping me. Um, I think the person that I, if there were one person I could have read, I think it might be Dennis Lehane. Okay. Um, just because, or Jennifer Egan, like one of those, one of yeah. the authors who really, really inspired my writing of it just because it's the kind of thing that I would hope that they would read and they would say, yes, this is a worthy, I don't want to say like fan fiction or anything like that, but it's, <laughs> it's something that I can see my book influenced and that I love. And it's just such a thrill for me. Like very recently, Erin Morgenstern, who's um, the author of The Night Circus, which is one of my favorite books ever, 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 just randomly posted this beautiful picture of my book mm. on Instagram with this, like the most amazing, amazing caption. Like I just finished this book and I've been in the book slump and I loved it so much. It's the kind of book that you just want to like, just like tell everybody that they have to read or something like that. And I about fell over. That's and so it, amazing. Because yeah, to have somebody whose work you admire so much say that um, about your book is just so thrilling and amazing. That's so oh, but special. then you know what? Yeah. So it was really, really wonderful. And I would love to have that kind of um, response from, from someone like that. But then as I was just talking, I thought of, I just bonked myself over the head because I thought, you know what? No, my answer should be, and I think it probably is. I'm, re I'm revising my answer. Okay. I revise. think it should be, I think it should be Oprah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Always. <laughs> right, 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 right. Because that would be amazing. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Those are good answers. I think both answers are good. Um, okay, well, cool. Angie, thank you so, so, so much for being here. All right. We're going to be talking about Angie's book on July 17th. So if you haven't read it yet, yeah. you have 17 days from today to read it. And you'll probably <laughs> do it in like three days because it's kind of hard to put down. But Angie, Aww. thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Tracy. I loved it. And it was so much fun. Thank you. Yay. And we will see you guys in the stacks. That's going to do it for us today on The Short Stacks. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you to Angie Kim for joining us today. Be sure to read Miracle Creek and then come back and listen on July 17th for the Stacks Book Club conversation. And just a heads up, there will be spoilers on that episode. Everything we talk about on today's show can be found in the show notes. For more on The Stacks, follow us on our social media accounts at The Stacks Pod on Instagram, at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join the Stacks Pack and get inside access to the show, like our virtual book club and more, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts, please, please, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This episode of The Short Stacks was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I will see you in the stacks. <laughs>